0: What a joy it is, each Lord's Day, to hear these ancient words that have been preserved for us. These words are living and active, they are sharper than any two-edged sword and they pierce to the innermost parts of our being, a place where no other person, no other words can go. This is the living and abiding Word of God. Let's open God's Word to 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10 is our text for today. As we continue our series on the life of David, it's on page 243 in your pew Bible, 2 Samuel 10. And as you're turning there, I want to express... On behalf of Ruthie and myself, our thanks for your prayers for us, your condolences, your expressions of care and kindness these last few weeks following the homegoing of Ruthie's mom. Uh, We truly thank God for belonging to such a wonderful church family. And I know uh, others of you that are going through difficult times that belong to Webster Bible Church have yourself experienced the love and care of Jesus Christ through his people in this congregation. And so we are blessed to be part of this church. I'm also grateful for fellow brothers who preach God's word faithfully. In these last few weeks, Reed Ferguson, Mike Smith have been such a blessing to sit under the preaching of the word through their ministry. And I think you should note that uh, Pastor Mike, while he was preparing his messages, was also finishing his semester at Spurgeon's College and one of the two courses he was taking was Hebrew and as he was finishing and preparing a sermon uh, simultaneously during these weeks uh, Pastor Mike not only got an A on his final Hebrew exam but also an A on his research paper. So so Pastor Mike we are proud of you uh, despite bashing the city of Buffalo last week. <laughs> The events of 2 Samuel 10 follow those of chapter 9, uh, not for the sake of chronology so much as for contrast. Chapter 9 recounts King David's kindness toward Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan and grandson of King Saul. In chapter 10, David shows his kindness again, this time to Hanan, king of the Ammonites. But instead of being gratefully received, this time the king's kindness is shoved back in his face. So first we see that the king's kindness is despised. Beginning second Samuel 10 verse one, we read, "After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan his son reigned in his place. And David said, "I will deal loyally with Hanan, the son of Nahash." as his father dealt loyally with me. Now it's important to note that those words deal loyally, uh, render the same Hebrew expression that is used repeatedly in the previous chapter, where it is translated show kindness. And so if you have another English version, like the New International Version of the Christian Standard Bible, you may have a translation that says something like this. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan, his son reigned in his place, and David said, or thought, "I will show kindness with Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness with me." It's important to maintain that translation, because the theme is the same. Just as King David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, now he is showing kindness to Canaan the king of the Ammonites. Continuing on in the second half of verse 2 through verse 4, we read, So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at the hips and sent them away. David is showing kindness here to the newly established King Hanan of the Ammonites. This kindness is even more amazing than David's kindness to Mephibosheth because the Ammonites had a history of hostility towards the people of Israel. When Israel left Egypt, they kindly requested if they could pass through the Ammonites' territory on their way to Canaan, the land that God had promised them, and the Ammonites refused to let him do it. The Israelites said, we won't bother anyone or anything along the way. We'll even even repay anything that we eat. Just let us pass through. And they said no. Once Israel was established in the land of Canaan, the Ammonites teamed up with the Moabites to do battle against the Israelites, attacking them. When David's predecessor, King Saul, first became king, his first major conflict was with the Ammonites. We recall from 1 Samuel 11 that... Nahash, Hanan's father, who was king at the time, uh, besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And and he said, the only way I'll make a treaty with you is if I shame your men by gouging out their right eye. Then we'll make a treaty with you, otherwise we're going to destroy you. And in desperation, the people of Jabesh-Gilead reached out to King Saul, who came and rescued them with all the armies of Israel. And so there was not... um, a nice relationship between uh, Nahash and Saul. So probably the only reason that Hanan's father, King Nahash of the Ammonites, showed kindness to David was only because he was the enemy of King Saul and David was on the run from Saul. But nevertheless, David wanted to show the same kindness to him that he had shown toward him. And yet how does his son repay that kindness? Uh, David sends a delegation uh, to this new king instead of attacking him. Because when a new king came to power, it took time to get acclimated his position. It took time to consolidate his power. And this would leave the new king in a period of transition where he was more vulnerable to attack any time there was a change in the regime. And so David could have easily attacked him at this point of vulnerability, but instead David showed him kindness, sending a delegation to express his condolences to a son who had just lost his father. But instead of receiving the king's kindness, Hanan rejected it abruptly and maliciously. Why is that? Because Hanan chose to believe the princes of the Ammonites, the top military leaders and advisors. They interpreted David's kindness as a ruse, saying he's not here to express his condolences. He says that the real reason he has sent a delegation here is so that they can snoop around the city and size it up so that he can come and conquer it. They misread David's intentions entirely. And I think that we should pause here to consider that sometimes we can be like Hanan and his advisors. We can too often think ill of people who intend to do us good. John Woodhouse in his commentary writes, and I quote, They displayed an attitude that poisons too many human relationships. Distrust prevents us from seeing good intentions from what they are. We are prone to suspicion. Sometimes, of course, suspicion is justified, but when it makes us incapable of seeing the goodness of someone else's words, actions, or intentions, much harm is caused. Now, was certainly the case here because before this conflict was over, tens of thousands of men would die, and that leads us to the main lesson for this morning. Despising the kindness of God's king leads to terrible consequences. Despising the kindness of God's king leads to terrible consequences. Ammonites showed their contempt for David's kindness by humiliating his men. Cutting off their beards and cutting off their clothes. Half their beards, half their clothes. And so I'm assuming when they cut off their beards they did so vertically. Maybe it was to emasculate them. Beards throughout history have been a sign of gruff masculinity, so maybe this was a way of uh, semi-emasculating them. I thought of this morning, uh, didn't think of it till this morning, no, I thought maybe it's a way, if they really believe that this was a ruse, of making them appear two-faced for trying to deceive David, or so they thought. And they cut off their garments as if the beards weren't enough. They, they cut off their garments at the hips. You say, well, why would that be a form of embarrassment? It's like, well, let's think it through. I mean, we even have an expression today, right, of being caught with what? Your pants down, right? So this would have been the ancient equivalent of it. And what we mean by that expression they were literally caught with their pants down. But what we mean by that expression is that someone is in an embarrassing and a vulnerable predicament. And that's exactly what he meant to do to, to show their vulnerability, to shame them, to humiliate them as he sent them back to David. I thought, if you only knew how many times I check my zipper before I get up on the platform. <laughs> Right? We're very self-conscious about these things. And yet, this king cut off their garments at the hips, publicly sending them back. And so they hid themselves. This contemptuous treatment of David's men was a declaration of war. That leads us to the next point, the king's compassion is aroused. The king's compassion is aroused, verse 5. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, meaning his men. For the men were greatly ashamed, and the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. The Oxford English Dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. And that's what David demonstrates here. Just as David had sent a delegation to show his kindness to King Hanan of the Ammonites, so now he sends more messengers to show his compassion to his men. It seems that whenever David is sending people throughout this chapter, this sending is a show of kindness on the part of King David. Their clothes could be replaced right away, but not so their beards. And so David graciously gives them time in Jericho to let their beards grow back. Why? Because David was concerned for their honor. David cared for these men. He didn't want to see them humiliated. He wanted to see them honored for the faithful men that they were. And he was committed to restoring that honor. So whereas the king sent his representatives to show his kindness, his enemies sent for reinforcements, in order to initiate conflict. That's what we see next. The king's enemies combine forces. Look at verses 6 and 7 of 2 Samuel 10. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zoba 20,000 foot soldiers and the king of Maacah with 1,000 men and the men of Tob 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of his mighty men. Just as David sent a delegation to show kindness to Hanan, now David sends his army to be prepared for the worst. Uh, he sends Joab and his elite troops. And this is the third time that David sends, right? He sent initially a delegation to express his condolences to King Hanan, Then he sent more messengers to show his compassion for his men. Now he sends his army not to initiate conflict, but to be on standby unless conflict were to arise. And so I believe that even this third act of sending is a show of kindness on David's part, albeit in a passive way. He is putting his army in a defensive posture on standby, for it is the Ammonites who actually initiate the conflict. Look at verse 8. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Maacah were by themselves in the open country. We know from chapter 11, verse 1, that the city here was Rabbah, the Ammonite capital. It was east of the Jordan River. And and the Ammonites uh, form a battle array outside the city gate, whereas the Syrians, who they sent for reinforcements, are in the open country. You say, well, if they were at the city gate and the Syrians were in the open countryside, where was Joab and his men? David's mighty men. Well, they were sandwiched in the middle. Difficult predicament. Now it takes us to the next point. The king's armies fight courageously. Verses 9 to 12. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. With the enemy before them and behind them, Joab and his brother Abishai stand back to back with the best men of Israel, prepared to fight. As I thought of this, I thought of that famous movie Gladiator, where Maximus is in the Roman Colosseum, there in the middle of the arena. It's basically they're going to be surrounded on all sides, the odds are stacked against him, and they're going to die for sport to please the crowd. And Maximus gathers his fellow uh, gladiators together, and he says this to them. He says, whatever comes out of the gates, we have a better chance for survival if we work together. Do you understand? If we stay together, we survive. And that was the mentality, and if you're familiar with the movie, it works. But in this situation, Joab didn't know if it would work. Uh Joab and his brother Abishai were going to fight side by side, back to back with the forces surrounding them. But they didn't know if it would work. All they knew was that they were going to fight together. They were going to fight courageously because they knew they were fighting for the right cause. Notice what he said? Let us fight courageously for the people of our God and for the cities that God has given to them. Joab didn't know how things would turn out, but he trusted the Lord to do what seems good to him. In the Psalms, we read that the Lord is good and does good. And his faith in God was evident in this statement. I believe John Woodhouse makes another great observation at this point, saying, and again I quote, Joab's words to Abishai stand at the heart of this chapter. He makes the only direct reference to God in the whole chapter, and what he said illuminates the entire episode. The words are a wonderful expression of faith in God. Faith is knowing that the Lord is good and does what is good. What is good is decided by God, not us. But with this faith, we can face any enemy, any situation, any threat with the strength that comes from this faith. As we walk honestly before God, doing what he approves, he will give us strength that surpasses whatever power confronts us. Amen. End quote. And that's really Paul's message at the whole entire end of Romans 8, isn't it? Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our lord for through him we overwhelmingly conquer there we see in the next point that the king's victory is secured verses 13 and 14 so joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the syrians and they fled before him and when the Ammonites saw the syrians fled they likewise fled before abishai and entered the city Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. So it appears that the mere sight of Joab and his men who were more than prepared to fight, when the mere sight of them struck fear in the hearts of the Syrians and they turned tail and ran. And then when the Ammonites saw them running, they ran back into the city in fear. And so Joab and his men withdraw and go back to Jerusalem. Again, they weren't there to initiate conflict, they were on standby in order to handle any conflict that arose. And with the threat now gone, Joab and his men withdraw. They had been sent by David for defensive purposes. Every time David sends is to show kindness. He sends a delegation to King Hanan, to show his condolence for the death of his father. He sends more messengers to his own men who were humiliated by Hanan. He sends uh, his armies, his mighty men, to be on standby in case conflict arises without initiating hostilities against the enemy. Every time David sends is to show kindness, but that's not the case with his enemies. We've already seen that, but we see it also again in verses 15 and 16. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together, and Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates, that is the river Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shobak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, as their head. We know from a previous chapter, that I think it was chapter 8, that Hadadezer was king of Zobah, and was apparently the most powerful of the kings in Syria. When their armies were routed by Israel, Hadadezer regroups them at Helam. And we're not sure exactly where this ancient city was, but available evidence suggests that it was about 40 miles east of the Sea of Galilee, well north of Ammon. And so it made it kind of an ideal place for them to secretly regroup and get ready to launch a second assault on David's army, this time with an expanded army. Hadadezer puts his own general, Shobak, in charge. Now look at verses 17 to 19. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 chariots, 40,000 horsemen, and wounded Shobak, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them, so the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore." Scripture warns that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the Syrians fell big time. Well over 40,000 of them died. Haydides' pride and persistent aggression led to a violent confrontation with King David himself. And as a result of that confrontation, over 40,000 men perished and every knee was forced to bow to Israel's king. We've gone through this account rather quickly, but do you see how this historic account encapsulates the features of a far bigger story? The Lord God is the ultimate king who shows us kindness every single day of our lives. Paul affirms in Acts 17 that God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Every breath we take, every beat of our heart, everything we enjoy in life is from our kind God. The same was true of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. But just like Hanan's advisors convinced him that David's intentions were dubious, so that old serpent, the devil, convinced Adam and Eve to question God's word, to doubt God's motives, and ultimately to defy God's authority by disobeying his words. And human beings have been doing that ever since. Scripture says no one does good, not even one. The way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. People love to consume God's gifts while showing contempt for God himself. They disregard his word. They disobey his commands. They disrespect his name. They denounce his servants, often humiliating them, shaming them, persecuting them. But scripture says that all who do so will one day pay the price. That God is a patient and kind God. But he is also a God of justice and righteous wrath. And one day those who reject God's kindness will pay the price. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 2. Do you suppose, O man, that you will escape the judgment of God? Listen. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? And forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you, like the Ammonites, are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. One day... God's righteous judgment is going to be revealed in all its righteous fury. But the good news is that God's kindness has already been revealed through the ultimate king, God's own son, Jesus Christ, David's greater descendant. Pastor Mike reminded us from last week in Titus 3 that in him, that is in Jesus Christ, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. Jesus Christ is God's kindness personified. He is the ultimate expression of God's kindness. Remember how David kept sending to show his kindness throughout Second Samuel 10? Well, moments ago, Brother Brad Wade prayed from John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave his one and only son." that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved, might be rescued through him. Jesus would later tell his disciples in that same gospel account, the gospel of John, chapter 15, Greater love has no one than this, than one lays down his life for his friends. The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' death on the cross for us was the supreme demonstration of that love. Romans 5 eight says that God demonstrated his love for us. He showed us his kindness in that while we were still sinners while we were still rebels, while we were still showing contempt for God's kindness, while we were still throwing it back in his face, all the daily blessings we give, God gave one other gift yet still, the greatest gift of all, his one and only son. Jesus revealed God's kindness in this way through his death on the cross because we have rejected God's kindness in more ways than we could possibly count. Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. That's the price we pay for rejecting God's daily kindnesses toward us, ignoring his word. But the Bible says that, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift because it can't be earned. As Isabella said so well in her testimony earlier, It wasn't because of her works, her righteousness, uh, because she was doing what was right in the eyes of God. It's because Jesus did it all for her. And we sang afterwards, Jesus Christ, he is my only hope in life and death. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the gift of salvation, the gift of being reconciled to God, the gift of being forgiven, the gift of having eternal life is received as we turn from our sin by recognizing our ingratitude for God's kindness and our insistence on going our own way. By turning from that, by turning from a uh, consumer's lifestyle, if you will, where we just consume God's gift while showing contempt for the giver. We repent of that. We turn from our self-sufficiency and we turn from our sin and trust in the king of kindness to save us. You know, every day God continues to pour out lesser kindnesses, and that doesn't mean that they're not worth much. Jesus is the supreme expression of God kindness, but God continues to pour out on humanity kindnesses, multiple kindnesses every day, so that people will recognize him as God and trust in Jesus as their king. Paul's message in Acts 14 is the same message that continues to be preached today by Christians all over the world. Ancient words that are true. Paul said, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without a testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, and he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Blessings that we receive every day. Yet, just as David's messengers were mistreated as they conveyed the king's kindness, so Paul and the other apostles and countless Christians throughout history have suffered humiliation and been mistreated for telling others the good news of God's kindness. Scripture says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But just as King David was committed to restoring the honor of his men, so one day Christ Jesus will reward and vindicate those faithful men, women, boys and girls when he returns from heaven. Scripture says that this will happen when he appears from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and refuse to obey the good news of Jesus Christ. That is scripture's warning to us, friends. And so today I urge us all to heed the warning of 2 Samuel 10. Despising the kindness of God's king ultimately leads to terrible consequences. Far greater consequences than even the Ammonites faced when they rejected King David's kindness. David showed kindness to Mephibosheth and he gratefully received it. David showed kindness to Hanan and to the Ammonites, but they arrogantly and even maliciously rejected it. But the real question is, as one hymn writer put it, is what will you do? What will you do with King Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? David was kind and he was patient with his enemies. But as we noted earlier, their persistent, relentless aggression led to a violent confrontation with King David himself. And at that point, many perished and every knee was forced to bow. God has exalted King Jesus, David's greater descendant, to the place of highest honor. Scripture says that God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we look at this text, we ought to reflect on this thought. If only the Ammonites had welcomed King David's kindness in the first place. And if only they had repented and sought his pardon for abusing his kindness while there was still time to do so. He was so patient, so kind, but they just kept pushing. Friends, let's make sure that our that our response to the kindness of God through his son, King Jesus, is not like that of the foolish Ammonites. Let us receive our kind and patient King with gratitude and joy. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Ancient words that ring true today. And I reaffirm the prayer of my brother Brad that anyone here who has yet to receive your kindness through Christ, your saving grace, Oh Lord, how we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that their hearts have been opened to your truth and that the song we now close with would express the humble desire of their hearts. All our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.